Hello, and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I'm uh, excited for a movie that I don't know when I'm going to get to see. Okay. Um, uh, because uh, I, I'm, I'm, of, I'm of two minds about directors recutting their own movies. Sure. On the one hand, I'm like, well, don't, you know, don't, it's a, uh, it's revisionist history. Don't, you know, the, the historical record says this is the movie that, I, that it was. And I have this, um, you know, I've had that. I mean, this isn't what I was going to, what I meant to talk about, but I, I, I find myself keep, uh, I'm, I'm so excited about that. People like, um, that Bill and Ted face the music is, is good. And the people also agree with me that it's good. Um, but there are multiple times that I'm like, I want, on the one hand, I want this, uh, I want people to go back and rediscover like younger people to go rediscover the, uh, the uh, earlier Bill and Ted movies. Um, but I also have like, it's just eat both of them have homophobic slurs in them. Sure. And I'm like, could they like, it would be unethical to just go in and snip those out, yeah. <laughs> you know? But on the other hand, uh, uh, it would make it easier for me to recommend. Like, I, it sucks that I have to be like, oh, it, you should, you know, even like to my, uh, my, my, uh, our nephew is 14. Uh, no, he's almost 16. Um, um, and like, so he's grown up in a world where you don't, like, in children's entertainment, you don't hear the, you know, the three letter F were used yeah. like as a, as a joke ever. Um, but, uh, I've gotten so far off, off topic. Uh, but that's just something else that was on my mind about like re-editing movies. Like could the directors, the, the directors of excellent adventure and bogus journey, both say, I want to make director's cuts of these movies. And the only cut is that they take out the homophobic slurs. Um, sounds like, uh, sounds like you might be a candidate to subscribe to vid angel, David. Yeah, I no, think so you, yeah, might, don't like, you might love it, but it would have to come from the filmmakers for me to, yeah, for me to be okay with it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, on the other hand, there's, uh, uh another movie from the early nineties <laughs> that, uh, uh, people are generally less positive about than I am about the first two, uh, Bill and Ted m- movies. And that's the Godfather part three. Mm-hmm. And just for Coppola, uh, has announced that he is re-editing the Godfather part three. It'll actually have an entirely different title. It's, Interesting. uh, it's the Godfather coda, the death of Michael Corleone, <laughs> which I believe is what he wanted the title to be initially. Okay. Um, so, but Paramount least, was just like, no, we've established a trend with the part two Roman, Roman numeral. We got a, uh, uh, you know, uh, brand recognition, baby, is what they said. I, I guess Francis so. Ford yeah. Coppola. It seems weird that they could dictate stuff to uh, Francis Ford Coppola, but I guess by by the time you get to 1990, eh, maybe maybe so. Yeah, I guess his uh, he made some great movies in the '80s, but not uh, a bunch of super successful movies yeah. uh, in the '80s. I'm a big fan of One from the Heart. I, no, as so am I, as you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I really like it. And then uh, for was it for Christmas or maybe my birthday? I don't remember, but I got the Blu-ray of uh, Tucker, uh, the Man in His Dream, which there yeah. are th- there are things that I really respond to, and it definitely is in is in keeping with uh, '80s Coppola, like 
interest in artifice and incorporating yeah. odd style into a, into a, a, a straightforward yeah. story. Tucker is a fascinating, beautiful, beautiful movie. Uh, uh, it's fully realized in its aesthetic, both visually and in the way that the characters behave. It also mm-hmm. falls into this kind of, like you said, artificial uh, uh, aesthetic. I have some problems with with Tucker. I don't know, uh, based on where my where I fall uh, and my feelings about economics and sure. um, uh, and and politics and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, interesting, interesting movie. I also have that Blu-ray. Um, anyway, that's not the point. The point is that I'm super excited whenever a director like a Coppola, I mean, Coppola did the um, Apocalypse Now, uh, which now I think of as, I don't know how you feel. I think of that as Apocalypse Now, now the the three plus hour, whatever it is. That's um, yeah. The, the redux or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what? That's true. Similar to the, the, the Blade Runner director's cut and the touch of evil, Walter Murch recut. And now, and I think uh, the other one we've seen within our adulthood, I think is RoboCop. Uh, I, I think um, we grew up with the, the R rated theatrical RoboCop, yeah. but now I think the director's cut of RoboCop is the default version. Yeah. To such an extent that I think, I think the because I've seen RoboCop several times uh, in my adult years, and I think I've just been, I think I'm at this point I'm more familiar with that one than than the R-rated version. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it can be it can be interesting when somebody recuts their own film, and on one hand, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does with Godfather Part Three, a movie that is fairly maligned. But the other part of me is just like. Or you could Francis Ford Coppola could just make another movie, not not another Godfather movie, but just another movie. And I feel like, you know, uh, I mean, he does that. He does make movies. I know. And I just, I would, I think I would like more of more of that as opposed to revisiting this thing that, I mean, I hate to say it, but is he going to like digitally enhance Sophia Coppola's performance? Cause that's a big, that is a big reason why people don't like it. And I think to me, that's a, um, that's a superficial, uh, reason. I don't think she's, uh, she's that bad. I kind of find her kind of charming. I actually rewatched, speaking of Sofia Coppola, I rewatched, um, uh, uh, Peggy Sue got married a while back and, and Sofia Coppola plays the younger sister in the, in the fifties, uh, or is it early sixties? I can't remember what year it's supposed to be. Uh, I think late fifties, um, uh, section of the movie. And she's not any, like, she's not any better quote unquote in the sort of traditional way of things, yeah. uh, uh, way of thinking about acting in Peggy Sue than she is, uh, would be in Godfather part three, but I still find her, her, her presence, uh, uh, charming, I guess. It's tough. I, you know, a bad performance can't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily ruin a movie for me, but it does make me question the director's judgments honestly and like i understand like i know that winona writer was supposed to play that role and then she got sick or something like that and so he cast his daughter and it just feels like oh i feel like you might be i feel like if this were any other actress you he would not not have accepted that level of like stiltedness like she's she says the lines in many ways like perfectly fine but there's just like there's just nothing underneath. Um, like, I don't believe that she's inhabiting this character. And certainly when she's supposed to have like 
chemistry with Andy Garcia, like that's, that's out, that's not happening. Like he's doing all the heavy lifting there. And, uh, and so it doesn't ruin it for me, but it definitely, it's tough. Cause like, it's tough to like bristle every time a certain person's on screen, especially if they're on screen quite a bit. Um, Do you see it? But when you go back and think about her performance, it, now that you've seen her directing style, do you see like, Oh, it's kind of like, that's I, you know, sort, of like sort of, yeah, not very much, not very like a, a sort of flat affect type yeah. of, uh, uh, reserved subtlety. One way or another, she's not going to give you much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, but, but, you know, and that's the other thing is like Godfather part three is, as you say, like much maligned, but there's some great stuff in there. I mean, Al Pacino is doing wonderful work in that movie as is Andy Garcia. And it's, it's worth watching. And I'm definitely intrigued um, at what he could possibly do with it. It makes me wonder like, what did he cut out? What did he leave in? You know, is this going to, is this going to completely change the way we look at that movie? I'm, I'm certainly intrigued, even, even if I would rather he just do something original, but that's all right. Yeah. But the other question is now this is supposed, it's supposed to have, it's supposed to be in theaters in December. Will we be seeing it? Who knows? Yeah. That'll, that'll uh, tie into the thing we were talking about uh, today and uh, in the thing we're talking about next week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're really going in on the pandemic on our topics uh, for the next couple of weeks. But um, before we do that, Tyler Smith, I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> uh, tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, today I was listening to uh, a new song called Anything by uh, Adrian Lenker. Adrian Lenker is the uh, vocalist, guitarist, front woman for uh, the band Big Thief, um, who have been, I think, one of the premier indie rock bands of the last few years they're so good tyler that none other than president barack obama put them on his uh, best albums of 2019 list oh my gosh um so that's how you know (laughs) two episodes in a row making fun of uh these those lists but uh yeah new song by adrian uh lanker called anything it's uh it's terrific um tyler i think you would like big thief actually Mm -hmm. i think you would like adrian lanker so um all that's good. Sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds that are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Tyler? Yes? Let's get into it, shall we? Okay. Um, Into what? Who knows? That's the... uh, Yeah. Uh, that's the, 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 the question, uh, here, um, the, the topic today is how do we think, what sort of permanent changes to movie culture will, will, will be brought about by 
the COVID-19 pandemic uh, because it definitely, I mean, I, I'm not sure. It's, it's been a slow uh, process. And, you know, when, when, when things shut down in March, we, I think we all sort of subconsciously thought about this as uh, what uh, NHL commissioner Gary Bettman called it when they stopped uh, having NHL games, a pause. Like, sure. all right, we're going to, well, I'll stay at home for about 10 weeks or, or whatever. Um, and then things will resume. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've now, uh, I think we're, we're realized hopefully by this point that this is not a pause. This is a, we are undergoing a change of society. Um, and, uh, uh, the question is how will that affect movies? Um, and I will start, uh, my, my first answer is in many ways, I think possibly less than we think mm -hmm. because, and this is a, a discussion I've had with, um, with my wife where she's like, she'll like point at things that we're watching a movie or, or a TV show and something will happen. Like someone, uh, eating at a buffet and she'll say something like, God, we'll, we'll probably never have buffets again. And I'm like, I don't know. People are pretty stubborn and pretty <laughs> yeah. stupid. Like, do you know people like maybe you won't feel comfortable eating at a buffet again, but yeah. I think enough people will that buffets will be back. Same with cruise ships right now. It, would, it seems absurd that anyone would go on a cruise again. I think cruises are coming back. Yeah. Uh, they might, might look a little different, but, but cruises are, are coming back. So I think a lot of, um, uh, a, a, a lot of things maybe will stay the same, but the things that will change, you know, this reminds me of my argument against, um, uh, uh when, when people like Steven Spielberg wanted to, make rules even stricter for what, what movies could be nominated for Academy Awards. Right. My argument against that is that look, listen, Steven Spielberg, listen, Academy, you're not the people who decide what movies are and what movies are important. If, if you go through with this sort of thing, all you're going to do is delegitimize yourself you know, so I think the things that will change will be the things that maybe the industry has been hanging on to out of habit. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I think something like this, it, it forces. Um, and I, well, I was never necessarily on board with Steven Spielberg, but I definitely understand the instinct to like makes, make some kind of distinction about what, a movie is you and I did an episode uh, well over a year ago, I think just asking what is uh, a movie. And we tried to speak as broadly as we could while still saying like, th I think it has to be this and this for the life of me. I don't remember and, where we, where we landed. But we also kind of revisited part of that discussion just last week. What did we talk about? Last <laughs> week? <laughs> about whether or not a TV movie counts as a, right. as a movie, because yes. in, in many ways, a movie that, debuts on on netflix and and never plays in a theater yeah. is a tv movie it's meant to be watched on a tv type screen yeah uh, um, I, something that i think historically happens with the the film industry is they get 
they get really locked into what they do. And then this external thing comes along and pushes them onto embracing and evolving. And, you know, whether it be like, granted, obviously like color existed before TV came along, um, like color and film existed before TV came along. <laughs> I thought you were like making sure that we knew that color existed. Right. Yeah, no, but. I mean, it was, no, it was a Pleasantville existence uh, until TV came along. Thank God. Um, but, uh, but do you remember that there's like one of my all time favorite Calvin and Hobbes strips is when Calvin's dad, Calvin asks his dad why old pictures are in black and white. And his dad says, well, because the world was in black and white back then. And Calvin says, well, why are old paintings in color? Well, the paint changed color when the rest of the world changed color. Well, then why didn't the photos change color? Because the photos were taken when the world was black and white. <laughs> That's, uh, there, there, obviously, there's a lot of great things about Calvin and Hobbes, but I do often enjoy his parents. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so... You know, so TV comes along and it threatens film. And so suddenly film becomes a lot of what we know it as today. It's mostly in color, uh, different aspect ratio, and uh, incorporating uh, content that uh, would have been unthinkable in the 1940s and 50s, um, and even early 60s in some cases. And so this is something that that threatens the the film industry not necessarily from a competition standpoint but it's literally like no you can't do this anymore you or at least not for a very long time you know i just saw today that apparently robert pattinson has tested positive for covid and yeah. so they need to pause the filming of the batman and so again which they yeah they yeah. only just resumed after being paused uh for a while Already. So I think stuff like that, where obviously film, uh, anything that's affecting it now will be, will be, it will be felt now, but it will be felt for the next two, like one to two years from a production standpoint. But, um, but yeah, so I do, I am curious to know like when the, when, you know, I wish there was like an official day where it's like, okay, after today, ev literally everything is fine and you can go back to what you were doing, but this is going to be very much like a fade in situation. And so when it is decided by someone and it, and it also doesn't come down to one person, but um, that, that it's okay to like make movies again, I'm interested to see in when they, when everything snaps back, I'm interested, interested to see like what changes are permanent and which ones will be just sort of business as usual. Cause I do think there will be some noted changes yeah i mean this is getting off the topic of movies but i can't even after six months of doing my job from home and yes i recognize that i am very fortunate to have a job that i can do from yeah. home i know a lot of people are out of work uh, uh because of because of this but after six months of doing my job from home i cannot imagine going back to the office every day it seems absurd like what would be the point we all mm. we've all proven uh, like <laughs> i've done my job from home for six months for some of which have been the busiest time. Uh, Cause I don't, I can't go into detail about what I do, but be, some, because of, because of some of the changes that the pandemic has uh, enforced on the way movies are released. Uh, my job got super fucking hectic uh, for a little bit there. And it's kind of, uh, kind of, kind of still is. So like at this point I've, 
it's been proven that I can do my job uh, from home uh, when it's when the chips are down. It seems absurd that I'd be going back to the office five days a week. I can see going back to the office. There are things about my job that do that being in person does help with. And those things are mostly put on the back back burner during this. I do see myself going back to the office, but I don't see it being a every Monday through Friday, nine to six being in the office. It seems crazy to think about that now, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, I definitely can and do regularly think about going back to the classroom because it's just the dynamic is so very different. Sure. Um, yeah. And, and I'm, but I do think that there, there will be situations where like, you know, if the instructor is sick and can't come in, maybe rather than bring a sub in, maybe that week we move, we move to zoom or something like that. Like mm-hmm. it, it might enable uh, classes to continue without really any huge disruption. It's hard. It's, it's hard to know on that level, but um, so, but yeah, how will that affect movie production obviously is, is different people. That's a, that's a job where people have to be, uh, have to be there. Um, I mean, maybe fewer people uh, will be there at, sure. at a time. Um, maybe we'll have fewer, uh, I don't know. I think about like love scenes are obviously, uh, um, a dicey proposition uh, yeah. r- right now, or, I mean, or fight scenes or anything that, it, that requires people to be, uh, physically, uh, in, in contact. Um, but I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure that stuff, I think that stuff will come back, uh, over time. Um, I, it could I, be a thing like I mean, with your big budget productions, you could do a thing. I mentioned the NHL already, but the way the NHL or the NBA are doing their playoff seasons, which is these like bubbles, like basically mm-hmm. the the team and a skeleton or comparative skeleton crew of the team's administration and staff. Um, all the teams are like in one location or, or yeah. two locations, in the case, the case of the NHL and uh, testing happens regularly. But the, the idea is that after the first couple weeks, everyone's only coming into contact with people who, have already who don't have it. So there's no way uh, for it. So maybe, maybe, so maybe a big thing, a big budget movie, like, like the Batman goes to that kind of, uh, uh, production where Robert Pattinson's just going from set to hotel, hotel to set. That's the only places he or anyone else involved goes like he's on a jury. Um, (laughs) yeah, I guess it is essentially being sequestered. Um, so, you know, here's a weird, here's a weird thought that I had, and maybe this is dumb of me, but I'm trying to think a little bit abstract. I wonder if, you know, movies that are released in some capacity uh, in 2021 or 22, I wonder if we'll start seeing a lot fewer two shots right. as opposed yeah. to a lot more close-ups and, and singles. Um, that way you can film somebody's half of the dialogue and the other person doesn't have to be there. And so they're not breathing directly on someone. I like my, at fair, initially when I thought that I chuckled to myself, but then I thought, well, maybe yeah. uh, it might actually have that impact. Certainly, you know, I, I know this is different because obviously, you know, the, the move to like a, a panoramic uh, uh, or um, uh, 
uh, Panavision, pardon me, or, or that kind of aspect ratio. Obviously that is an artistic change, but obviously it changed the way movies, the, the, the choices that directors and cinematographers made. And so here, when, you know, if there are going to be fewer fight scenes and fewer love scenes, it stands to reason that the specific shot choice could also play into things as well. And so just trying to think as, as broadly as I can, I do wonder if that will be something that happens. Like, well, things, well, things seem a lot more claustrophobic because we're getting a lot more close-ups and a lot fewer uh, wide shots and two shots. I don't know. Just a, just a thought I had. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, a lot of what we're talking about <clears throat> is here's what I'm, well, I guess what I'm kind of nervous about right mm-hmm. now. Um, there are still movies premiering the, throughout the pandemic. There have been movies premiering pretty much every week, you know, yeah. uh, uh, on, on VOD or, or on streaming services or, or whatever. Um, and so I, I, you know, I do miss somewhat miss going to movie theaters. I'm not as hung up in, on the theater experiences as, as some people. Um, uh, I certainly miss festivals um, like, uh, like the TCM classic film festival would happened uh, back in April. But um, I, I haven't felt that much loss because the movies that have been coming out are the types of movies that I'm interested in, you know, uh, uh, like, something like she dies tomorrow or, or whatever. Sure. Um, uh, or like, I don't know, out stealing horses or other things that I reviewed. Um, I like, this makes me sound like a snob, but I have not been like, Oh, it's such a bummer that we haven't seen black widow or wonder woman 1984 or tenet right. or whatever other, the big like tent poles of the summer were supposed to be. Those aren't the, movies that I got excited about in the first place. So I, I didn't miss, miss that. The thing that I'm, that I'm not looking forward to is that it will be more when it comes to production, it'll be more possible for bigger budgeted movies to put the precautions in place and to do the kind of things that we're talking about. And so uh, is 2021 or late 2020, whenever it happens, is it going to be the opposite? Is it going to be a long like period where there's a glut of um, studio productions coming out and uh, fewer independent films because it's harder for lower budget movies to navigate all the COVID precautions and stuff like that. It's, it's tough to say because, you know, on one hand, yes, studios do have, you know, do have the, the money to put into those precautions, but at the same time, they might also, you know, they, they've certainly taken several hits financially. They may not be quite so eager to bankroll like a big production. I do wonder if we'll see a lot more like mid-budget, uh, which we don't see very often in general. Yeah. I would like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I do. I see what you mean. Like on one hand, you know, independent films are a little bit smaller and thus maybe it will, it could be easier just to, just to, keep people distanced from each other but at the same time yeah like the the various considerations everything will cost money and a studio can do it where it's you know it's sort of like when you if you an individual were to sue like a corporation they have many many lawyers you have mm-hmm. maybe one if you're lucky um and uh, so it could be a, a situation like that but um yeah but i and, mean i i just look at the um 
the lineup for for TIFF this year normally hundreds, literally hundreds of movies play at TIFF every year. This year, it's fifty movies, and they're most of them are either documentaries or they're movies that already have major uh, uh, or or major or mini major studio distribution. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if the if. I mean, we were kind of getting to a point where the idea of the summer blockbuster, like, or the idea of, of summer being the time to release big blockbusters as a default, like that was starting to go away anyway. But yeah, I mean, what, Black, Black Panther was a, like a February, February. release. Yeah. 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 Um, and then like, yeah, MCU movies started coming out earlier and earlier. Uh, and then, yeah, it got to the point where it was, it was certainly you'd get a, a, more of them in the summer and around Christmas time. What are you what are you laughing at? <laughs> My wife is off camera trying to make me laugh. Oh, okay. This is something right. she likes to do when I'm yeah, on a Zoom or Skype or especially her favorite thing is to try and make me if uh if I'm if we're ordering dinner, if I'm on the phone with mm-hmm. someone trying to place an order, she will do things to make me laugh, which uh I love slash hate. Like I have to like go into the room because it's uh you sound like a lunatic when you're you can't get the words like shrimp lo mein out because you're giggling too hard <laughs> yeah it's uh, but, uh that's a fun thing for her incidentally and this is going to sound uh, terrible but uh so i've been listening to the audiobook of uh it which is very long and uh and it's it's read by uh actor steven weber who actually i think does a very good job and it's maybe a little bit more performative than I, than I would like. Like he's really trying to embody the characters where he can. And one of the characters has a stutter and right. You know, you have an actor who is again, trying to be kind of performative. So he really plays it up, which on one hand I appreciate gives you a sense of the character, but on the other hand, it's like, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot of this dialogue in there. And, uh, if you were to read it, you would just read it and you would get it and you'd move on. But here, uh, it, the frustration as you're listening, uh, is it's like you find yourself sort of sympathizing with the other characters a little bit. Um, but anyway, uh, so, um, I forget what we were talking about before you started laughing. Uh, me too, but, uh, we, I could, oh, that was it. Do we, do we think that this will have more of an effect on just like the release schedule? Do we think that the idea of the, of the summer blockbuster, which was already kind of hanging by a thread, is that just going to be done and just nothing means anything anymore as far as release? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, some things mean things because, uh, I think you'll still get horror movies in October. Sure. Um, and uh i i want that to happen i don't want that to go away yeah um uh but this is gonna uh, a thing i wanted to talk about but although it's gonna sound <laughs> after 702 and a half episodes of battleship retention uh i'm gonna sound stupid by saying this is gonna sound self-indulgent <laughs> that's all we do um I think it's safe to say that any episode we do just the fact of it is self-indulgent yeah yeah. Uh, but I was talking, speaking of my wife, I was talking to my wife about the idea of, is this going to change what movies we cover and not even by choice is a small outfit. Like, are, are we, we didn't, you know, there, there were 
I, I don't know how because I haven't even bothered looking in. I, I know some people saw Tenant and wrote reviews. Right. Some people that I know uh, uh, live in Los Angeles. I don't know what they where they saw it or or how. Um, it wasn't even. We were obviously weren't on the the radar for right. for that. Um, uh, and is are, our studio is going to say like, do we need these little guys for these? big movies if a movie is too big a deal for us to be sending out screener links sure are you and i even gonna get to review it and do we care <laughs> like uh, i don't know i i feel like um uh you know we you've seen uh we've all right i'm not sure that our audience has grown at the same rate but our battleship pretensions reputation among publicists you know we've we've gotten it's grown over the years we've gotten Mm. um more uh obviously festival access but also i think about like when the force awakens come came out you and i didn't get to go right you 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 went out and saw it that night and posted a a review um we didn't get invited to a press screening of the force awakens but that was the last star wars movie we didn't get we've been invited to press screenings yeah i've i've taken all of them i believe um Oh, some of them I might have taken for more than one. Yeah, no, because I know I reviewed Rogue One for sure. And I reviewed Rise of Skywalker. I know because uh, I'm one of the few people who liked it. That's right, yes. (laughs) Um, yes. uh, Yeah, we've gotten invited to to all of them, and that's that's great. I really uh, appreciate that. And obviously, um, some of those movies I really liked. Rogue One, I loved Last Jedi. Um, I, I don't look down on those movies, but I also know they're not our bread and butter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, um, unless it's a situation where in terms of like, I hate to be as basic to talk about like hits or whatever. Sure. But um, we don't tend to get a, a, a whole lot of views off of our mainstream reviews unless it's a situation like the rise of skywalker where i'm one of the few people who liked it sure. or like avengers endgame where i'm one of the few people who didn't like it yeah um yeah my toy story 4 review like sure that was it, when you're when you're the contrarian which certainly i in those moments i definitely now i i have a deeper understanding of like why someone would be a contrarian on a contrarian on purpose because it does it gets them clicks uh, yeah, but uh, we would never want to do that uh, or need no. to do that because we, this isn't our source of income. We don't need yeah. to be uh, Jeffrey Wells over here. Um, uh, not that he's a contrarian just as much as he's a dick. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, we get we, we get weird spikes. Like um, I noticed that uh, TCM the other day, a couple of days ago, aired the... Um, french uh girls boarding school melodrama olivia and uh my blu-ray review from like last year spiked in in uh yeah. in, in, in hit so i'm i'm sure that's that's not a coincidence but those are the sort of things that get us uh us hit so i don't know if you would you um how bummed would you be if we stopped getting invites to the tentpole uh screenings i would be i'd be pretty bummed just because um I mean, obviously uh, this sounds super shitty, but it saves me money. Um, and, 
And uh, granted, some of them, if I, uh, I wouldn't be seeing if, you know, they, I, they wouldn't, I probably would not have seen Justice League, for example, um, if, uh, if I did not get a screener, uh, a screening uh, invite. But um, at the same time, uh, I do like, and this is maybe more me than you, I feel like my, my sensibilities tend to be a little bit more mainstream. Um, and I do like to at least have some sense of what, uh, you know, the normies are seeing. And certainly as a teacher, I feel like I, I want to, uh, I want to have seen the things that my students have seen, maybe not everything, but uh, being able to engage with them, like to reference a movie that they've seen so that I can then make a point out of it that they will understand. Okay. Uh, I have found that to be extremely helpful. Um, so much so that, I mean, my students love the Fast and Furious franchise so much that my, uh, my having not seen a single film in it is, I think, acting as a liability for me as a teacher. But, um, <laughs> but then, you know, and then stuff like, had I not seen Joker, because all my students saw that and they all really liked it, and I'm glad that I, I, was, I was glad I saw it for a few reasons, but, um, but I'm definitely glad I saw it there because, you know, in, in a teaching setting because it then allows me to talk about all of the influences uh, on it and uh, and mm -hmm. help them to realize that uh, maybe the film's not quite as original as they might have thought. But anyway, that's that's the point. I, I, I like to undercut what my students like. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I, I'm not sure if... Yeah, do you think it'll be a situation where... Uh, there's such, maybe there's, there's pressure and this might be something that we talk about a little bit next week, but if there's pressure on studios to not have, you know, screenings like in a screening room, um, just some kind of residual thing, or at least to minimize them, uh, then I do think that, and if they're really, um, concerned about piracy or anything like that, so they, that's what they want to do. Um, I could see smaller, uh, outlets like ours being cut out, which then essentially, uh, I mean, obviously you can still go, we could still go and see it uh, on our own, but, um, but that does sort of, that would sort of make us, and again, uh, other sites that are about our, our size or smaller, it would make us a little bit more boutique for lack of a better term. And, and just create more of a niche without us even really choosing that. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, that's kind of cool because it just it lets it's, it, it allows us to become even more of what we already are. Um, but on the other hand, I would, I would like to, I wish I, I prefer to have that choice rather than have that choice uh, uh, foisted upon me. Uh, well, yeah. Um, uh, like I said, I'm not that, I'm not that worried about it. I think, that we'll be able to roll with the, whatever the punches are. Uh, I'm not too worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 did you have any other, uh, uh, predictions about what might, uh, well, when it comes to the Oscars, I have a lot. Oh, that's uh, fun. I hadn't even thought about the Oscars. Yeah. Um, certainly. I mean, talking earlier about, uh, about Steven Spielberg and his, his sort of campaign to, eliminate movies that were purely available on streaming service, trying to uh, eliminate their eligibility. That's, I mean, that's out like that's out this year, certainly, but I don't think that's coming back. Um, I think at this point, because frankly, I, I feel like the film industry 
is going to be, if it isn't already, so grateful to streaming because that is what is saving it and what is saving or VOD. all of us yeah. you know, or VOD. Um, I think they'll be so grateful um, that there will not be a great deal of, of pressure or, I mean, there might still be a few filmmakers here and there, but even they, I think will, will reluctantly agree that like, yeah, the, this is uh, COVID has definitely proven just how valuable streaming is. Um, so I do, th- I definitely think that at this point, um, movies, you know, like the Irishman with, or Roma, which had, you know, a cursory run in theaters to qualify. I don't know if that's even going to be necessary anymore. I think something streaming on Netflix or Hulu or maybe HBO, um, I feel like that will start to uh, to be included and probably start to do uh, start to do well, which then could lead to it's it's unlikely, but it could lead to smaller films that really only have uh, that could only have ever hoped to have uh, a streaming uh, uh, a streaming outlet. Um, it might mean that they sort of mount their own little uh, Oscar campaign or certainly stuff like independent spirit awards. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a thought like, you know, films like, um, like, uh, Oh shoot. What was the, the horror film that you mentioned earlier? I, the name of which I forget. She, she dies. She today? dies tomorrow. Tomorrow. Pardon me. I forgot. I was you, jumped, you jumped the gun a little bit. <laughs> um, Oh, you look like shit. I thought you were 57. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, something like that, which admittedly it's, it's a genre film, so maybe not, but something like that where it is very well received by critics and, uh, audience and, and it does fairly well with the audience. And maybe there's like a good, uh, a performance or, or art direction or something that like, you know, Netflix or, or whatever, uh, streaming service, um, is exhibiting it. Uh, they might mount a campaign where they might not have otherwise um, once they know that everything is, is on the table and everything's a possibility. So at the same time, as far as what is nominated, like it could still be, you know, like when the Oscars in 2009, when they expanded from five to, you know, up to 10. Yeah. They incorporated stuff like district nine and they started nominating a lot more animated movies. But as far as the movies that win, it's still basically the same. Uh, they're not really pushing any boundaries. Um, and the same might happen here where movies that are purely streaming, um, unless it's something like the Irishman or Roma, uh, a campaign might be mounted, but outside of maybe a random performance or cinematography or something like that it won't really be embraced by the academy like they might they might be less stringent about what qualifies but that doesn't mean they're going to embrace what qualifies so and then uh and then obviously in 2021 the oscars are going to be two months later um which could set everything off it could you know put everything off and so you know that means that the oscars for 2021 would ha- would cover you know march uh, like february or something through december and so it's a smaller window and so will they just start to have the oscars in april or may now i'm not sure oh that would be weird um uh 
Uh, I don't know. I'm that that stuff. I'm curious to see. I'm curious. I'm definitely curious to see how. Um, again, this is my own self interest. I'm curious to see how the like season the the camp the the awards campaigning uh, goes this year without um, without screenings uh, yeah. or with fewer screenings. I mean, I'm not at this point. I'm not about to go to a, a, a movie theater um that's not uh on my list of things that i'm comfortable doing uh yeah. right now <clears throat> um but i i understand i'm also more cautious than than a lot of other people around covid i know more people have, who have like done the patio dining or whatever like restaurant patio sure. dining that i that i have we tried it once back in june when it seemed like before the like Memorial Day spike mm-hmm. had really registered, when it seemed like things were okay, we did one patio dining. Haven't done it since then. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm I'm more cautious than than most. I don't even like going to like I uh, I don't even like going to pick up comic books. I, I've, I, I, I because I have to go into the store, even though I'm literally just going in and like yeah. so, you know grabbing my pull list and paying and leaving. I um, I know it's no longer something I do every week like it was pre-pandemic. Uh, I I go every month or or two. Um, yeah, so that's I just guess me, my, my I, cautiousness. I'm I'm less cautious uh, than you are, but at the same time, while I'm eager for the day that I can go to a movie theater, uh, I also don't want to rush it, even if they even if they open, you know, like, let's say the state of California decided like, all right, we're doing it. We're going to do the social distancing thing. I would wait and see what the numbers were within a few weeks of that and yeah, see if it, because, if it spiked, you know, uh, I was reading sort of one of the earliest sort of big spreading events in China of, of COVID-19 was a, um, like a Buddhist temple bus trip. Hmm. And like, people like the one person was positive beforehand. They didn't know, but they, you know, one person was positive and infected almost everybody else on, on the bus trip. Yeah. Even though like this person sat at the front and people who sat all the way at the back, cause yeah, the six feet or more thing is, is good, but over an extended period of time in an enclosed space, that social distancing stops meaning anything. So to me, that's why I'm cautious about, uh, uh, or scared about the idea of going to a movie theater is no matter how far away from people I sit, um, I'm still sitting there for two plus hours in the case of, 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 of some of these movies. Like the longer you share a space with a person, the less social distancing matters. I think. I do wonder, even even once all the movie theaters are open, I wonder if they will, once that happens, I wonder if they'll drop, the, how long they'll hold on to the social distancing uh, requirement. And if that's the case, then it will be interesting to see what attendance will look like. I mean, I, you know, back when, when I was able to go to movies, I would often go like on some random weekday night and I'd be one of like five or six people in the mm-hmm. theater. But now when you know, when essentially even in the theaters that are, that are open, uh, they can only be like what a third full at the most. Okay. And so I imagine that there'd probably have to be more screenings, um, to try to accommodate everyone that wants to see like a big tentpole movie. I don't think, I think the social distancing 
things, it's all at AMC or any of these chains, it's all marketing. It's going to fall apart the moment you walk through the door. Cause that's just the way people sure, are. Sure. You know? Um, I mean, the fact that like, if, if they were serious, they wouldn't sell concessions, but of course the reason they want to reopen is to yeah. sell concessions. Um, yeah. If it weren't for concessions, they wouldn't uh, even want to be open because that's where they make their money. But I'm reminded of like, uh, I worked, uh, I'm going to throw my former employer a little bit under the bus here. I worked years ago. I worked at the Arclight and the Arclight makes a big deal out of like, after five minutes, we don't let you, we don't seat anybody. Right. The, the one time I tried to enforce that and my man and my person complained to a manager and the manager was like, yeah, go ahead, go in. And it was just like, like, uh, and then just told me like, yeah, we don't really, we don't really enforce yeah. that. Um, it, you know, uh, um, but, uh, I guess places like Alamo draft house do enforce, uh, rules like that. And I guess good for, good for them. But, um, to me, uh, a lot of that stuff is just, just for show. And then once people get, especially once people get into a dark room, no, like everyone's going to take their mask off and they sit where the fuck they want. There's yeah. not going it, to, it's going to be chaos. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I guess they could always like tape off, uh, chairs, you know, uh, like every, every other chair or every two, every other two chairs or, or whatever seats, pardon me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really going to be, it's going to be interesting to see like what happened. Cause I think theaters have only recently, like in the last few weeks started to open and I'm interested to see what kind of spikes, cause there, there's going to have to be mm-hmm. like, it seems, it seems r- ridiculous to say that like when you get people crowded together where previously they weren't, it will have an effect. It may not be a super dramatic spike, but it's gotta be something. And so I just wonder like, more than anything, I'm just curious how long people in general um, are willing to are willing to like l- allow their lives to be disrupted by this thing. Understanding, of course, that yes, it could be life or death, especially for you know your parents or your grandparents or something yeah. like that. But I'm curious to know how long people are gonna are gonna. That's what I'm saying. Do that. People, people will go back to these things as soon as they're able, just like buffets and cruise ships, people yeah. will go back. Uh, um, so I like uh, to, to come, come full circle. Maybe we can have an eye towards wrapping up here. Like, sure. uh, I think what I was saying is the stuff that people want to do, they will do as soon as they are, 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 are able to, to do it. But yeah. in terms of a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, like awards and stuff like that, um, things that the industry is holding on onto because of tradition or because uh, the people the who are currently in charge are still making money off of that way of doing things. That's the stuff that's gonna gonna change because uh, um, to take a page out of uh, your uh, economic uh, political notebook, uh, the the market demands that that those things uh, that those things change. Yeah. And if the Oscars, I mean, it's, it's arguable how, um, how committed they are. Cause I remember going back to 2009 again, like when they, when they expanded to allow movies, uh, to allow more movies to be nominated for best picture, uh, they, 
they did it essentially because like ratings were down and they thought like, well, maybe if we nominate more movies that people have seen instead of sort of the, the standard like prestige films, um, maybe that, you know, maybe that'll, that'll, uh, up the ratings. Now, obviously you and I know that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, and they know, should do so what many I've, reasons. What I've said for years now is that whoever NBC, whoever the Academy should just make peace with the fact that the Oscars are more of a niche thing than they used to be. Yeah. Uh, uh if NBC thinks they can get more view, we're still, that's the thing. The Oscars are still like one of the top 10 viewed, uh, television events in uh, of every year. Yeah. So, but if, if NBC thinks they can make more money airing an episode of this is, this is us, or whatever on a Sunday night. I don't know what night that show airs. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's on NBC. Um, go ahead and do that. Air the Oscars on Bravo, right? Yeah. Stop worrying about how long they are. People will, you know, make it for the people who want it to want to watch it. Yeah. Stop trying to make the Oscars for the people who don't want to watch the Oscars and make the show. The people who want to watch the show want to watch, which means indulge in the, uh, uh, the little clip packages and all the like yeah. celebrating the history of Hollywood, you know, uh, yeah, Hollywood patting itself on the back. Yes. Lifetime achievement. Come back. The humanitarian yeah. award. Like, uh, I want to see all, all that stuff. Let it be four and a half hours and air it on Bravo. The people who want to watch it will watch it. I don't have Bravo. I don't have access to Bravo. So maybe it could be, maybe it could also be like a, like a pay-per-view, like a big fight, sure, you know, there you go. I just um, picked up Bravo because it's owned by NBC. That's well, oh, okay. Got it. Uh, yeah. See, you know, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> but that's, but yeah, that's the thing. Like if the Oscars are actually, if they're interested in trying to bring people in through acknowledging that, uh, you know, Oscar bait, movies which is a term i don't like to use but i'm using it as a shorthand wait are the Oscars on abc see that's the stuff i AB, uh, i think they're on abc yeah yeah oh okay so what does abc own espn sure i don't think you're gonna want to put the oscars on espn <laughs> uh but uh but yeah i think just out of out of necessity certainly just in a Dis larger discovery sense, whether it be maybe i can't remember <laughs> I, I, I am the last person to talk to about this. Bring that geo. They own that geo. Disney owns ABC and that geo. I know that. I can imagine. So if they, if they, oh, own, and they own Fox though. Oh, that's true. They, they could put the Oscars on FX. Sure. Or sure. FXX. Is FX two the deadly the art of illusion, uh, still a, a thing. <laughs> yeah. That's the third. Yeah. When you, when you subscribe to FX, you get, you get FX, you get FXX, you get FX on Hulu, and you get FX2, The Deadly Out of Illusion, yeah. which just shows FX2, yeah. The Deadly Out of Illusion. It's its own app. It's a separate thing. <laughs> um, it's one of the most downloaded, oddly enough. People <laughs> love their Brian's, yeah. uh, Dennehy and Brown. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm willing to, to leave it at that. I forgot what I was saying, and I no longer care because uh, we latched onto uh, a ridiculous movie from the 90s. All right. Well, uh, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at Davey Pretension. This week I reviewed Arthur Jones' Feels Good Man, the documentary about Pepe the Frog, or more specifically about the creator of Pepe the Frog, uh, who had no alt-right intentions for the character. Uh, quite the opposite. Uh, you can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Tyler, do you have anything to plug? 
not that I am aware of right now. So uh, let's just say no. Go watch my documentary on uh, Faith Life TV. That's all I'll say. Um, blah, blah, blah. That's it. Uh, normally, this is where I would say, and guest, do you have anything? We don't have a guest. So um, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 